You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Aprom Kipolevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Shalom Abrocha, this is a Hesped Arocha for Hagoyin, Rav Abba Bronspiegel, Zecher, Tzadik Livrocha, who was Nifter last Shabbos. We are here, Betech Hashiva, um, and it's a testimony to the Hashivas of the Nifter that we were able, in such a quick amount of time, uh, to be able to get a response from his Chaveirim from when he was in Yeshiva and Yeshiva Sarbani Yitzchokon. Uh, Rav Abba, uh, who hasn't been that Gesund, uh, lately, was be, be tkif, be, in his tkifus was known as a loichem ba'adam asayra. He was someone who understood the dorayoshon. He was or as a representative of it. Um, in his hakdoma to the bikuriyaba, he mentions a the he says people are nespoil about the shoah. That of course he was a uh, from the plate the with nisim gluyim. But he 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 brings a question, of course, that the world has, which is how is it that the Shoya could happen? How could have the most sophisticated country in the world have become the the agent of such horror and murder? And he quotes a Malbim in in Parshas Vayero uh, by Avram Avinu and Avimelech. And there's just one little line of the Malbim that he he emphasizes. The Malbim says that with all philosophy and with all uh, technological achievements, which of course are uh, advancements that all society is is is, is trying to do, um, they could all, in a way, be pushed away by Taivas Hayetzer, whether it's for Taivas Noshem or Taivas Malman. What you need is Yiras Elikim, and with Yiras Elikim, you could be Oymed Keneged Akol. But the Malbim says something very interesting. He says, Hayira Hashesula Benefesh, not Yerushalayim necessarily. The inherent fear that we have, the fear or flight instinct that every human being has, that everyone is moida. We have the, when the adrenaline rushes. The Malbim says it's from there. It's mistoyif Yerushalayim. So, in other words, if you have Yira, then of course you're going to be mavater on Momen. You're going to be mavater on Taivas Noshim because you have Yira. Yerushalayim avada, but it starts with beetsim Yira. I, I don't. Who was a, a such a, a a wonderful human being with such simcha had yira at a, such an early age, the yira mamish, the yira of life and death. None of us would ever want to go through that. None of us would ever want to subject anyone to that. But Rav Abba understood in an, in 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 a way even maybe beyond his ability to articulate as a small child, vus is given yira, and Mimela, it was Yira against Mamish, the Yira of, of the Pachat of being discovered, the Yira of being Nebuch Oiskahargit. And he was able, because it was so Mushrash, Shusul ben Avshoy, I believe, to be a beacon for, of Yiras Hashem and to be Oymid as, uh, as a symbol of Yiras Hashem uh, in so many ways. Read, Yerzebel, of course, is the Mashkiach in. Uh, in, in 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 Yeshiva University, he is the uh, Mashkiach senior Mashkiach Ruchni and a chaver of Rav Abba from so many years back. Rabbi Blau, please. Thank you. My first uh, recollection of Rav Abba was the first day of Shir in Rav Gorelik Shir. We had both started Yeshiva that year. I didn't know him from before. Uh, 
but our backgrounds were parents were already born in America. Uh, Rabbi Brunschpickel, of course, was born in Poland, went through the Holocaust, came to America at a relatively young age. I keep on getting different reports how old he was when he came. Uh, his English was perfect, so you couldn't tell that he wasn't uh, born in America. One thing was apparent and became much clearer over the years. All the Rebbeim and the Yeshiva were European. The Talmidim overwhelmingly were American. And as much as we learned Torah from our Rebbeim and admired our Rebbeim, there was a gap. There was a serious cultural gap. Rabbi Branspiegel was probably one of the few who really was much closer to the Rebbeim because he had also, born in Europe, shared common experiences. And that came through over the years, even though initially, of course, we just sat in Shear and nothing was obvious. We were together in Shear for, except for one year, until Rebbe became a high school Rebbe. So it's at least seven years that we sat in Shear together. One Rav Gorelick and six with the Rav. Rabbi Brunspiegel was a outstanding Talmud, even though he was not one of the people who spoke up a lot. You know, he didn't promote himself. One had to know how much he knew. You couldn't tell otherwise. Of course, the fact that he was writing through the Torah and the Beis Yitzchak very after he was in yeshiva just a couple of years, he was 19, 20 years old, he was already writing Kudushay Torah. And his Rebbeim knew who he was, even if we didn't fully understand it. What was remarkable to me over the years was not that he was such a Talmud Chacham and that he could relate to his European Rebbeim, but his incredible success as a Rebbe to American Talmudim, starting off as a high school Rebbe. I, I recall being literally concerned. If, if you ever saw Rabbi Branspiegel, he was not just short, he was tiny. And he was very thin. And I imagine him in a classroom in MTA with 16-year-old boys, some of them towered over him. And and how would he control the class? You know, would they would they be able to respect him, to relate to him? He never had a problem. Never had a problem. He somehow communicated strength that the Talmudim understood even if they towered over him. There was something about him that was clear, strong, committed, wasn't going to tolerate any nonsense. During the years that he went on from the high school to be a Rebbe in the base Medrash in Yeshiva, 
his popularity grew and grew. There was a period of time that there was no doubt that he was had the biggest share in the yeshiva. In fact, I recall at one time, I can't tell you how many years ago it was, the Beis Medrash the Torah, the Hebrew Theological College in Chicago, asked Rabbi Branschvigel to come to be the base, to be the Rosh Yeshiva. And he went out to Chicago and he came back. And he decided not to take it. And I think when I asked him why not, he, with a smile, he told me they had many more boys in his shear than the entire base medrash in Chicago. And that he was going to give up all these Talmudim. It wasn't, it, it wasn't worth doing. He, his commitment to the Mesorah, as you mentioned, was consistent and, and, and very strong. He had a very positive sense of what his life had been in Europe, though on the surface it was terrible, right? Well, when he went through, why should he see it in a positive light? But he stemmed from Gerach Hasidim, and I just found that out the other day because I didn't know him to be a Hasid, honestly. Uh, he was a Talmud of Gerelik and, and the Rav, far from Hasidus. Uh, he was particularly close to Rav Gerelik. He dab, the family davened Rav Gerelik Shul, and, and, and Rav Gerelik, who had very big influence on a number of Talmudim, not on everyone, because he was a complex and very strong personality, but on those that he was close to, and often with the boys who came from the Bronx and davened in his shul, he had enormous impact. Even though Rav Gorelik's style of giving shia and Rav Branchvigel's style of saying shia had very little in common. It wasn't that kind of influence. It was an influence in the commitment to Torah and Rabbi Branschbrugel was absolutely committed this, though it wasn't that he neglected his secular studies. He did very well in college. He told the story that the Rav suggested that he go get a doctorate in Harvard and while obviously he turned it down it meant he was a good enough student that you could talk about it as a possibility. He went over the years, he kept on growing in Torah and an impact on others. What was specifically special about his shear was the clarity and the fact that he started with basics. He started with the Gemara, with Rashi. He would be medayic to read the Rashi precisely, move to Tosvos, and then move on to Rishonim and Achronim until he said Torah from his Rebbeim and some of his own. The Shia was set up so that a weaker student who couldn't follow the last 15 minutes would benefit from the early shear. 
he was able to get the basics. And the stronger Talmud knew that the Torah was going to come. So he had a mix in a sheer of weaker and stronger Talmudim. And he was there for them. There for them in many different ways. If a, I recall one particular boy who had come from a non-yeshiva background and it started off in JSS and he was very meticulous and he would go to Rabbi Spiegel and every word he didn't understand or get correctly, Rabbi Spiegel will go over with him and tell him the word. And he never lost, he never became impatient. He was there for the boy as long as it took. Every boy knew that he was there for them. I said it mentioned in learning, but it was true in other areas as well. He, at the same time that he was, uh, you know, Talmud of Gorelick, he was a real Talmud of the Rav. You could, if you read Rav, Rav, Rav Brunschwigel's articles, his Torah, he invariably quotes Torah from the Rav. It's all part of his Mahalech HaMachshava that he built on what he learned from the Rav. And after the Rav was Nifto, and everybody who had been at Talmud tried to write or explain his version of the Rav, Rabbi Branchfield was one of them. Because Rabbi Branchfield felt that showing that the Rav was so totally devoted to Torah was enhancing enhancing the Rav. Even though Rabbi Branchfield wrote complaining that both the left and the right didn't understand the Rav, his vision of the Rav was a was a Rav who was the great Masmid, which the Rav was, and the fact that the Rav knew all the secular knowledge to Rabbi Brunchfigel was, he learned it sometime when it was Lo Yom V'lo wasn't sure when, or maybe remembered it from his youth. But that was Rabbi Brunchfigel. And when he left Yeshiva to go to Landers, it was a great growth for Landers, and it was a big loss for the Yeshiva, a major loss for the Yeshiva. His voice was important. Not that his views were the same as everyone else's. On the contrary, his voice was important because it was a little bit different from the voice of others. When you consider what he went through in his youth and the fact that it did not interfere with what he became. In other words, people who didn't know that he was a survivor wouldn't have found out from him, and he didn't have the cynicism that some had. If anything, he had this very strong support for anyone who went through this. He had strong views, that he would never judge a survivor, not a survivor who lost a Muna. He said, if you didn't go through it, you can't understand it. In fact, I recall 
because I didn't actually agree with him on it. There's a famous Chazonish, and the Chazonish says that we no longer apply Maridin Vein Marlin for the Kofrim. We no longer treat them the same way because we no longer live in a world where Dashkocha is so apparent. We live in a world where, where it's not obvious. And we can't say that someone who doesn't believe is just ignoring an obvious reality. Because it's a, it's a, the Chazonish didn't use the word him, but it's a world in which things are explained rationally and, and lack of belief is all over the world. Rabba read the Chazonish, and to Rabba, the Chazonish was talking about Holocaust, right? People who went through the Holocaust, we can't judge. Honestly, I don't think, I didn't interpret the Chazonish that way, so the Chazonish had said it even before the Holocaust, but that's not the point. The point was that the Holocaust, to him, was something that didn't threaten his amuna, but he would not judge anybody else who had suffered. They were not to be blamed for anything. So we combine this strength of character, this commitment, this loyalty to his rebellion, and his love for Talmudim. Someone just reminded me that one Talmud, uh, and I mentioned a certain Talmud who's now a high school Rebbe, and uh, another Rebbe said to me, don't you remember, Ravaba flew out to Los Angeles to perform his wedding. Right? And I assure you, he didn't do it to get paid a penny. He did it with a Talmud. Talmud was getting married. He went out to Los Angeles. We don't have people like him. And it's a different generation. Can't blame people. He was rather, it was very unusual. As I say, at the Talmud, he was quiet. He didn't assert himself, but everybody knew how talented he was. Everybody knew what a Lamdan he was. He didn't have to promote himself in any way. It was genuine. It was him. And he taught Torah to thousands of, of people who will be honor to be able to be a classmate and a friend of his, a partner in Shia for so many years. Yehei Zichro Baruch. Another Talmud Chochem that's renowned. I know of him for many years already, Rav Nechemia Zabrowski, who is a Toshav of Eretz Yisrael, who was Zoche to be with uh, in that glorious era that Rabbi uh, Blau uh, was Metzayah for us, that Kufa, uh, in the in the mid- Baba, <clears throat> when uh, I got into the Rav Shia, um, and uh, he was uh, someone who sat up in the front. He wasn't afraid to get called on, but uh, and I knew that he was one of the people steady in the base marriage, putting in a lot of time. At that time, he was learning with, with, with Milty Pine, I think it was. And uh, 
very friendly person. But um, I, I have to make a comment that um, if if you all the people that were in the Shia but are wrong, um, the uh, it, it was you were viewing you were viewing greatness and you you were viewing a person the Rav, who with all his great genius and everything his his whole tafkid was to find understand what does the Gemara say or, or what does the Rashi say and that made a very big impression on everybody in the Shia. He knew all kinds of other things, but you saw that the only thing he really was interested in is I want to know exactly what the Rabbi wants from us from this Gemara. I remember one time when he was so happy to Rav that uh, he, was, he was learning some Gemara and Sukkah and he was very struggling on a Rashi. And then he finally said the whole shot in the Rashi and he said, and there's not one extra word in the Rashi. He says, <laughs> but but that that uh, all the students who were in the Rav Shia, I didn't see Yossi in years or anything, but there's a bond between us. That we were together in a in a place where we saw great covered Atira, Davos and Tyra, and that just remains with you and stick makes people stick together because we knew that we were in connection with with with, with emes with, with truth and whatever uh, that's what's worth in the whole world um but one eventually i got uh, to know him a little better because in the dormitory he became my roommate and uh so uh i, I never i never had any learning with him but so so I said to him, uh, we were in the room at night. I said, so what are we sitting here? So let, let's learn something. So we decided to learn the Sefer Yeshaya. So we were learning Yeshaya with the Rashi and the Radak, and we covered about half the Sefer. He was very, very, uh, his, his mother used to send cookies to him. He used to share the cookies with me. And uh, another thing, I, I used to go to school at night uh, um, in a graduate school, and so I didn't have a chance to get my, uh, food from the cafeteria. So I asked Rababa to, to buy me uh, some food so that when I have come when I come back of something deep, he would do it every week. He would uh, he would buy me this this food, and uh, and it was very nice, uh, uh, just a very 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 pleasant person, and. Uh, when I got married, he came to the wedding, and nobody danced at the wedding more than Rababa. <laughs> it was all so enthusiastic, and there's a there's a funny story about it also, because um, the Rav Gusman was the my Masadic Kedushin, and he called up a person. He called up somebody to give, uh, give him a bracha, one of the Shavu brachas under under the chuppah. His name was Rabbi Chayans, I think. And I didn't know him. And uh, nobody knew why he was at the wedding. Nobody invited him. <laughs> and here he has a brocha at the, at, the, at, the, at the chuppah. 
So we don't know. All right. So one time, Rabbi was uh, by by us, and he was looking at my wedding album. So I told him, "See that man? I don't know who he is." So he says, "I know who he is." <laughs> so I said, "Who? What, what, how do you know?" He says, "says He says somebody was interested in making a shidduch for him. So he had a, he had a name, you know. He had a name in other yeshivas also." They, they, they were interested in him. So he says, so Rav Guzman invited this man. He says he found out that Rav Abba's coming to the wedding, or Rav Abba told him, I don't know the whole thing. He wanted to see him and talk to him. So he came to the wedding. So, you know, Rav Guzman was the Masada Gedusha, so he's in charge. So he gave him a bracha. <laughs> so that's how I found out about it. Uh, had prepared a section of his house for Orchem. For Orchem, that they came from particularly uh, people from Eretz Yisrael that came to raise money or whatever, and he just had like a little hotel for them. He never he never charged them anything. He never he says says you can stay as long as you want. And I know I know that I had a I know of a person who was a voice teacher, and he, he lives in Eretz Yisrael, and he used to go to America to make some money. So I mentioned to him, I said, oh, you know that Ravabu now took a position in, in Monsi, and he's moving out of that shul, and he's going to live in Monsi now. So he says, oi, that's the place where I go to when I come to America. I always go and stay by him. So he was, he was like an Avram Avinu. And so he was a big lambda and everything, but he was a Balchesed. Uh, you know, through with Rav Abba is, he was such a nice person. He was a genuine, a genuine yid. He was a machnasarach and he was interested in mitzvahs. You didn't hear anything else from him. He was truly an Eved Hashem. Many G'dayli's throw that what they did in the summer was just a continuation of the same Harbatzus Torah, just in a little bit of a different oifan. And it was there, I think, that Rabbi Sinnaman was able to connect to him. So I reached out to Rabbi Sinnaman to please share uh, uh, not only Zechroinus, but Yisaitis, that he was makabal from the Nifter. Rabbi Sinnaman. Yes, thank you very much. And it's a great privilege for me. I feel a little misplaced with this august and impressive personalities from different eras from where I am from and from my connection to, to Brown Spiegel's Atzal. But like it says in the beginning of the Mesil Shisharim, Some note why does the why does the Mesil note in your world you should say I think that the reason might very well be part of a person's chayva is to find his oilam. The world is full of a lot of worlds. The universe has a lot of small little worlds orbiting. And the oilam is oilama. You have to reach out and you have to be zoicha. You have to have bashkocha protis that HaKadosh Baruch who sends you into the right world. Part of my but but left an indelible impression upon me as a teenager was the first time I met Rob Brown Spiegel. We summered together in a in my parents' bungalow colony. It was a summerland bungalow colony in um 
Greenfield Park, New York. And he used to say a shear every Shabbos afternoon at six o'clock. And he used to learn in the base medrash of the bungalow colony. And he used to also just enjoy life in the bungalow colony with his family. I became friendly with his sons and his, uh, eventually we continued on together to another bungalow colony in South Fallsburg, New York. And the impression of Rav Brown Spiegel was something that till today, I still remember, I was a young teenager and I was learning in the Beis Medrash and we started talking about Ture Evan. That was later one of his, in his great Sefer Bikure Abba, he, he has a kuntris of Ha'aris, of notes on the Ture Evan. And I remember the first time I heard some of the most fundamental chakiris and questions about mitzvah striches kavona and mitzvah aboba avera that later become part of your canon of Torah that you always use, I heard initially from Rav Brownspiegel. And one of the great things that I knew about him was when you asked him something, even in that shir, he used to say Shabbos afternoon, even though I was young comparatively to everybody else, he would respect your question. He would analyze your question. And, and I have so many ha'oris and, and different notes that he had told me. And besides that, there's an, uh, the, the devotion to his Rebbe's Tyrus, the Hashivas, the way he would express when he said something over from his Rebbe, Rav Salavechik, Zatzal was, was a, a lesson in and of itself. In and of itself, that would be a lesson of how you respect and continue perpetuating your Rebbe's Tyrus. There was also another factor, and I'm going to try to tie them all together. I'm not sure if people know this. He was a tremendous expert in the Sipurim, in the saga of the Beis Harav. He used to, we used to sit in the summer, and I drove him numerous times to the city and back and from, from the mountains, the Catskill Mountains. And he would revel us with tremendous stories and of the Beis Halevi and of the whole Beis Harav. And everything was with this exactitude when he would say it over. That alone was a lesson for all of us, this respect for the base Harav and for all the Limudim we can take. I remember him telling us a story that the base Halevi, when he was a young boy, had such a sharp mind, his father, the base Halevi's father, thought that he might be drawn into the Maskilim, into the secularists uh, camp. So the Beis Halevi's father sent him away to become an apprentice at a watchmaker. And then, then the Beis Halevi come home at night from the watchmaker and write down Chedushe thought while he was making the watches. His father felt a pang of guilt and he took the papers to the Mishkanis Yankiv. And besides that, Rav Brownspiegel said Mishkanis Yankiv, and the Valojina Talmud, and he explained who he was. And when, when the next morning, the Beis Halevi's father reapproached the Mishkanis Yankiv, he told the Mishkanis Yankiv, said, there isn't a Rav within 200 kilometers of this area who could write these Chedusha Taira. Who wrote them? He told him, it's my son. So he said, the Mishkanis Yankiv said, what is your son doing? He said, and he told him the story. I sent him as a, I sent him as a watch, an apprentice watchmaker, because I didn't want him to become 
he wouldn't want to come drawn to the secularists, to the masculine. So the Mishkan is young, said he's way past that. He's way past that. He's too advanced. Let him go back to yeshiva. Let him go back and learn full time. And that's what he did. So our Brown Spiegel added, and he said that the Beis Halevi later expressed, if I would have continued as a watchmaker, I wouldn't have been one iota less in learning, and I would have been an ahena miyakiya kapov. I would have been, I would have been living off the fruits of my own labor. But then Reb Brown Spiegel added that this story was sent over to the Briskarov, and the Briskarov said, said over this story, and he said it over in the presence of Rabbi Levine. And Rabbi Levine said, Rabbi Levine said that's true. maybe he would have been less, he wouldn't have been in Torah. Torah one iota less, but a briskarov would have not come out from the base Halevi. And because it had to be Begolo, it had to be in the open. And I remember in the car, I was with Rav Shlomo, five or Shlita, he also was taken tremendously by this story of Rav Brownspiegel. I think it's the same thing with Rav Brownspiegel, his, his, his children and his Yaitse Chalots of all Tamide Chachomim, Rabbonim, Kidoilim, Marbitse Torah, it's because of this the devotion to Torah, the devotion to the to the to the Moisrei Torah. That's what he did. And just like it was said before, he had a he had a gemach in his house, some sort of I don't remember what it was. And I heard from his son, Reb Chaim, who used to come to the door and almost abuse his father. He met him because they felt maybe. And it was people who were not who were, weren't in complete control of the faculties, and his father would remain calm, and it would not in any way change his devotion to Gemilas Chasadim. Him, I remember his his wife. And it, it was a tremendous mockum, a tremendous place of seeing Avodas Hashem Gemilas Chasadim, and it's Steinus B'Tayra. And I think there's also a, a point that has to be brought out. You know, the Chazal tell us, Nase v'nishma, Nase v'nishma last week's parish is Nase is doing the mitzvahs. Nishma is learning Torah. Why does the Torah use the word Nishma for learning Torah? It should have said Nase, doing the mitzvahs, Belilmoy, to learn. It's also then the parish Mishpotim, the Torah says, Ha Torah v'hamitzvah, the Gemara Brachas tells us, Ha Torah's Torah Shebiksav, and ha-mitzvah is Torah What does mitzvah have to do with Torah Shebaal And why is nishma the, the word that's utilized by the Torah to talk about limur ha Because the ultimate limur ha of Torah Shebaal by definition, is masiris. By definition, it's transmission. Mitzvah doesn't only mean commandment. Mitzvah means transmission, handing down. Like it says by Avram Avinu, leman asher yitzavah, as Bonachrov. Yitzava doesn't only it means to hand down and to transmit. I think Rav Brown Spiegel's Atzal was one per a person who is Mahus, his essence was Masoiris. Masoiris Nishma. He heard from his Rabbeim, he heard from his life's upbringing, and he transmitted it to the, the people around him. He was, he understood his position as a cha- as a link in the chain, 
giving over the Torah and he respected every Ben Torah, every Mavada person who wanted to hear from him. He had Ashbo in his shul. He had an Ashbo above the people around him, like myself, that I was in a bungalow colony setting. And to gain so much from him, to gain from all Chiyos and Taira, Chiyos and life, his, his zest for people, his people's personality, being strong and steadfast, but at the same time feeling for others. That's a person who's a Isham Asiris, a person who is Ayadiris, his respect for his Rabbeim until, un, un, until, until the end, always talking about the Rabbeim in the highest passion. I'm still shaking that I remember him saying over that his Rebbe already heard from him once banged into a light on Shabbos and it turned off. And then he noticed he turned it off and he fainted. He used to say this over with a, with a realism, giving over this Yiris Shomayim of his Rebbe. Besides the brilliance, besides the creativity, besides the Kolatayra Kula, he wanted us to all understand that, that the Rebbe was, the Rav was a, a Yiris Shomayim. That was part of the Masiris that he was transmitting to us and to all the people around him. I was Zoycheh to be in the house, and Rabbi Aaron Salavechi came to the house, and Rabbi Aaron Salavechi to be in Menachem Oval, and he, and he said a few stories which are still etched in my uh, memory. But once was, he asked Rabbi Brownspiegel, from where does he come? What's his background? So he, he gave over the whole saga. He was born in Mujitz, but he came from Gerach Hasidim. And then Rabbi Brownspiegel mentioned he had a grandfather, his name was Reb Tzvi Doib, Reb Hersh Leib, Reb Hersh Ber was his grandfather, and he was a Geruch Hasid. And he said he was a Balabas, a successful Balabas. And as a, his hobby of his grandfather was learning Shailas Vichuvis Noy de Behuda. And he knew the whole safe in Noy de Behuda, Shalko Vitaria, backwards and forwards. And he expressed that to Rabbi Salavechik. And Rabaran turned to the people who were there and he said, Look at the Dairis. Abalabunu, the whole Sefer Shalos of Chuvis Noida Today, if you know one Chuvis Noida from the beginning money before Brisk in Yerushalayim was in style, today it's in vogue and it's a great time. Today happens to be the yard site of Rebero Salavechik, the son of the Briskarov, the father of Rebbe Rom Yeshua. I think today is the yard site. And Rabbi Brownspiegel used to send smaller money, but in a steady way, because he felt he was supporting the Emis. He was supporting the Masiris. And then his children learned there later. He was Zoycha because of this Torah, because of this Gemilos Chasadim, because of this devotion. And just hearing his Torahs, it's ringing in my ears. The Shabbos afternoons in the bungalow colony, we would all sit around wait for him to come up with these great pearls and of all waiting to hear is when he used to say over Torah from his Rebbe we were all yeshiva guys who weren't uh, weren't weren't there when the Rav said it over but he used to say it over and he used to say it over with such a fire such a gishmak and he would protect the Rav's Torahs much more than he would protect his own Torahs and he would come back and he would talk to us about it 
And then he would even play a little paddle ball also because he was, he was just a gishmaka, normal family man. And that's how he was, that he visited, I was out at Lavaya, and he visited a very old and and he was 90 years old and he saw him reading a Tolder's book, a book about Kedele Yisrael. So the person who visited him asked, why are you looking at that now? What's, he said, I still have to grow. I'm looking at books of G'day Yisrael because there's still room for growth. Rev. Brown Spiegel, I haven't seen him in, in the years since he wasn't well. But before he used to express, you got to keep growing. You got to keep grabbing opportunities. When he left to go to Bismedrish Latira, when he opened up the shul in Borough Park, he was a settled man. He had a lot of success. He opened up a shul, then he opened up in Muncie. He was always looking for new opportunities of Abbotsa Satira, not sitting on his prior laurels. He was writing Chadusha Taira till, till the end. He was writing Chadusha Taira until it wasn't possible anymore. So I give a bracha to all the people who are with such an Eitzachai and that we should continue perpetuating this devotion, this devotion to Limura Taira, the devotion to Masairis and Gemilas Chasadim. I thank Rabbi Kivalevitz for putting this together. And I really hope his children will be able to see this and see that this people who their father had such a ashpah and impression upon, and they should be zeichet to bonim of nebonim going on to this masiris. We should all be zeichet mitz Hashem that together that we should be zeichet for the tchias amesim for the time of mola or its day as Hashem kmaim liyam achasim and we'll be zeichet mitz Hashem to pesuris tayvus pesuris machas. Thank you. Um, I, I think one of the things that I need to mention is the haskoma that Rabbi Yashaber uh, gave to on the Bikuriyaba. He mentions how that as, as much as Rav Abba was a horrible book in Sineva and I use that lotion in the invitation to everyone here today, um, he also, he says, his Talmidim were, were they were mitzdainim with their hismasrus to Torah and to, and to maisim toivim. He said that was the, the the type of Talmidim that he was maimed, Talmidim who would go out into the world, whether they'd be Rabbonim, Rosh Yeshivas, Rosh Yikoyal, or Bali Parnosa, but would have that uh, searing through them, the, the Musig of Yiras Hashem and uh, being Megan on the Messiah, and also to live life like an Erlich, Erlich person. Uh, even going out into a life of Parnosa, we have uh, a representative, I think, I believe of that ideal, and I hope I'm not selling it short, uh, uh, Dr. Sraya Sobel, who was a Talmud by uh, Ron Spiegel for years. In I just want to say, I feel truly inadequate to be speaking and to be um, being, you know, somewhat being maspid. Um, my Rebbe, that's truly I I owe um, all all that I have in, in Torah today truly comes um, in in his chus. And I, I think when I talk about my tukufa, and I'm not only talking for myself personally, but a lot of my chaverim that came to learn also, he, um, Rav Ranspiegel, had a, a tremendous, tremendous impact on us. And I just wanted to sort of highlight or underscore some of the different things, um, different characteristics and that he brought um, to to the shir, to our Rebbe Talmud relationship that was, you know, truly, truly unique as a, as a person who was um, a masterful um, machanach in, in, in every sense of the word. 
So I wanted maybe to say this over some meisim um, about about Braunschweigel and other meisim for some gedolnik sort of underscore um, his his godless in in these areas. So you know, first of all, many of us who came to the shir, um, I think Rabbi Blau referred to this before, that it was it was at the time it was in the mid 1990s where he had the largest shir in yeshiva at the time. I think it was you know by far the largest shir, and it had a very broad um, you know, backing of Talmudim. It wasn't like, you know, you go to base Medrash, you have your first year base Medrash, second year base Medrash, you have your different Rebbeim for the different years. Over here, you had, you know, multiple different years, people coming back after learning the first year base Medrash in Eretz Yisrael, and then you had people who maybe may have been this year for, for multiple, multiple years. And what he truly ingrained within us was a, was a tremendous cheshek in, in Limud. You know, I, I heard a, I heard a mice, an unbelievable mice about Rav Shach, um, and that happens. Um, he was supposed to be meeting with um, Askanim. They had a very important discussion, and Shilas that had to, you know, that impacted world Jewry. And you know, they'd set up a specific time to to meet with Rav Shach. And uh, and he was he, the Gabbai asked, you know, not to let anyone interfere. There's going to be a very important meeting. Um, and at the time, you know, a few minutes before the meeting, a father came with his son and said, it's right before." You know, you know, just be wanted to get a bracha for Hatzlacha for a son of learning. Um, it wasn't going to be a long meeting. You know, could we just sneak in, get a bracha from Rav Shach, and be able to leave? So the Gabbam said, "Okay, fine, no, no problem." So the son went in, and with the father, and Rav Shach started to talk to the son and ask him you know, what he's learning, how he's enjoying the learning, and the son said, "No, I don't get any enjoyment out of my learning." So Rav Shach said, you know, that's, you know, it, it was, it was, it was concerned about the boy. So they opened up, yeah, yes, what are you learning? We're learning Elamitsius. So you open up Elamitsius and they start going through the shock of attire of the Gemara and, you know, delving into the anal and analysis of the Rashi and the Toysisim. And, you know, and the, the boy, after an hour, this happened, this would be a few minute meeting. It was going to be over an hour there in the, in the room with, with Rav Shach. And Rav Shach said, "How did you enjoy it?" He said, "This was this was incredible. Uh, you know, I, I had such a geshmak in 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 our learning." So Rav Shach said, "Just like you have a geshmak in in this sugi that we learned together in Elam you should have a geshmak in every sugi in Shasi we learned." Rav Shach was an older man at the time, and he'd now been causing these askanim to wait for over an hour. He came outside afterwards. He profusely, uh, you know, apologized to them for making them wait, and he said, "You know." He unfortunately he was out of strength. He couldn't. He wasn't going to be able to meet with them today. He said, "But you know, this is a sakanas nefashos, and as 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 a nefashos, he had no other brera other than to be able to sit and learn and give the geshmak for this to this to this young to this young man." So you know, coming back for many of us, and I think I speak for not only myself, for many of my chaverim at the time, we came back. We um, from Eretz Yisrael, only learning there for a year or two. And, you know, not not all of us were, you know, the, the biggest lamdanim at the time, not to be today that, no, I can't speak for myself. I'm not, you know, the, the biggest of lamdanim. But what he truly ingrained with us was a tremendous cheshek for learning. His avazatora was was palpable, where you, he went through the, just a pashtus of the sugya, where he went through the, the rashi and his medayik and the rashi, and then he went in through the taisism and his medayik and the taisism, and then analyze the, the machlots between Rashi and Tais. So then he would build the shir and go into the other other Rishonim and Achronim and speak out the raid. And, you know, it was, it was a beautiful shir, but that impacted us to to such a degree that 
so many of us would come out and just, you know, we felt like a tremendous connection to, to Talmud Torah and, and so many hundreds, if not thousands of Talmudim continue to, to learn, perpetuate and to grow today to the extent that you wonder, like, you know, sometimes why, why you have such Talmud Chacham and they could have written many, many Svarim, but the Iker uh, energy they, they put in at the time was building Talmudim were, were going to be the Sifrei Torah, you know, to perpetuate into the future. And I think that's where many times he focused many of his kochos into it. He did, he did write, but a tremendous number of hours were spent in building up Talmudim, developing the Keshav of Talmudim, and creating the tremendous Cheshach and learning as well. A second point that he had, he had tremendous Haslavas for mitzvahs, you know, was underscored by some of the other speakers before. But, you know, just remembering times you go back and you would, you know, I remember there were stories of him that he once had thrown out his back and he wasn't able to, to sit. They actually brought him into a, this shear and he lied down in a bed. And gave the shear lying down because he could he was he was he was too too weak to be able to to sit up he was in so much pain, but he would do this in all in all aspects. So you go to chasanas. It wasn't just one chasana. Every chasana he went to, he would literally dance with 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 the the, the chasan until he passed out. Really, they brought a chair down. He was literally on the verge of of passing out. But that was every chasana. Just it just wasn't just one chasana. Um, Purim would go to his house. And after the Sudas Purim would go outside and dance with him, he would literally climb up onto the cars that are driving down the street in Borough Park and dance on the roofs of the cars that are driving. Uh, it, it, the, the Ava that he had for, for, for Yiddishkeit, the Ava that he had for mitzvahs, was so deep and so real and so authentic. As Talmidim, we just wanted to connect to that and to continue to grow, you know, Mikhail Al-Khail. Um, and obviously, it has been underscored so many different times. He had a t- tremendous mysterious and Misora, and he gave that over tremendously for the Talmudim. You know, we, as Talmudim, we saw the friction that what sometimes happened between with, with him and the Hanhala. But, you know, he was so muscular to the Misora, he was willing to put himself out onto, onto the limb in many situations and create uncomfortable situations because he felt... It was something that needed to be discussed, it needed to be said, and it needed to be heard. And even in his farewell speech when he was going to um, Landers College, um, he felt that you know, that move was you know, another opportunity to him to, to develop the yeshiva, but also would ultimately benefit the, the yeshiva that he was, was leaving that it would ultimately create some competition. And aside from Tarba Chochma, he felt that you know everyone would benefit from, from the move the new yeshiva and the yeshiva that he was leaving as well. Um, in terms of his Masora from the Rav, you know, he, he learned by the Rav for over 10 years. Many, many of the shirm he gave incorporated the different Torahs of the Rav. And he he made his, you know, every Thursday afternoon, he would speak uh, in Hashkafa. And, you know, many times he would even play us. You know, I remember one time he brought a recorder in from a, a shirah the Rav gave and said that the Rub's Blatchier brought in no other secular sources. You know, he, he didn't philosoph, you know, philosophize Torah, sociologize Torah. The Torah was pure and the Torah was real. He was a tremendously broad and brilliant individual. So he knew many, many different things. And he, he was able to incorporate that in part of his vast personality. But when it came to Torah, that was the Iker by by the Rav, and you can tell that his his the Raya that he brought was when later on when the Rav unfortunately had had dementia, 
Um, he didn't recognize people, but uh, Rav Chaim Soloveitchik brought him in and he sat there for an hour. He didn't really recognize Rav Braunschweigel very well, but Rav Braunschweigel said he would just would observe and he learned so much from just observing the Rav at that time that he was speaking over Rambam after Rambam in, in Kachim, in, in Rambam's Hilchus Kachim. And he talked about Gomorrah's and then he would kind of interrupt himself for a moment and give a, a shmuz, a, a musa shmuz, and, and talk about the chashivas of, of keeping mitzvahs and having, a, and having an avasatara. And all of these things we could see when a person was not with their faculties. You can tell when a person with the true essence of individual comes out, the kisa, the kosa, the kaso, you can tell what the true, the true essence of an individual. And now the, the Rav was sitting by himself. He was not able to really hold a conversation with other people. All the things that were coming out was what he learned with his father, Moshe Soloveitchik, the, the Ramahil's Kachim, and so on and so forth. He said that was his true essence. What he spent, the Ruba, the Ruba, the Ruba, the Ruba, the Ruba of his time was in Limadotar, was in teaching the Talmidim. And that's what he wanted to impart to us. As broad as the Rav's personality was at his core, his Mahus, he didn't want that to become uh, mis- misunderstood by by other individuals. And just to just to sum this this up, as as a Talmud and hopefully speaking on the behalf of my other chaverim at the time, the authenticity that he had, he had nuzich. Everything that he did was was for the har- for the purpose of harbatz harbatz Torah, for the purpose of us connecting to the Torah, to having an avas Torah, and seeing what you know true Yiddish got as he felt. He wanted to represent that and give that over. It was no, nothing of a zikh that was incorporated within that. And I think that's why he had such a tremendous impact on thousands and thousands of Talmudim over the generation, all the generations that he was a, he was a Rebbe, probably 45 years. And, you know, even at the Levaya, you know, even though he hadn't been well for, for so many years, there was, the room was just packed, overflowing crowd. And so many of the people there were just his former Talmudim. You could see the impact that he had on on them, due to his love of of for his Talmidim, his desire to be marbistar and just to give nachas. But as well, but the last Talmud Mamash who was there four years um, by Rav Abba in Beis Medrash Talmud, known as the Beis Medrash Talmud of Lander College, my friend uh, Rav Yitzchok Kolakowski, who uh, in many ways is also Isaac in in in, in Parnosa for Lachatzalos Harabim, um, the Avbezdin of Kivas Chavis Yor of Koblenz, and Einikov Nachavis Yor. So I said about there were stronger Talmidim and weaker Talmidim. I was probably from the weaker Talmidim. Uh, you know, I remember. You know, I'm I'm very humbled to be to be Masbid or Shiva Zechern of Rocha when I you know think about the Talmidim that you know he would always say, oh you're you're a Chorif, you're a, you know, he would, he would look at the Harifas of the different Talmidim that were there, and I was just, you know, I, I wasn't a Stiller, I never was, but I was, I didn't, I didn't have the same level of uh, lambdas and things that, that they had, and I remember the first time when I came, before I went to Eretz I came for the Heher, and the, you know, I was just so amazed, you know, to see this is where I could be sitting and learning at Lander College, and speaking with Rashiva and you know he fahared me and then he said you know when you come back from Israel you'll be ready for the shear I don't know if I really was but at least I, I had a little bit more tools in my belt at that point when I came back than certainly than I did before I went but the truth was that he was the Rashiva Zatzal was Makar of us like Mamish like everyone said we were like Mishpocha to him and he was really 
an Ish MS, you know, he he was, you know, a Poilusher Gera Chosid, you know, he had the that kind of Kotzker MS. He didn't have any patience for nonsense. He just wanted to say the MS. He had like others spoke before, he had no airs about him, but he was a symbol, a part of that Masurah, of that old world Masurah to us. He had such a sense of humor, as it's been mentioned, and he was just normal and down to earth. And one of the biggest statements about his godless and about who he was, was the fact that when he left YU to come to Landers, there was a large cadre of Talmudim who followed him there because they loved him so much and he knew that, and they knew that he loved them and they couldn't everything that they had and moved to another yeshiva because, because their Rebbe now became Rashiva in another yeshiva. His sense of humor came out sometimes in, in funny ways, like he would give a sheer Klali every year in Parshish Chayesara. And every every month there was a sheer Klali, but Parshish Chayesara, and you'd have the Marmakoimis listed on the wall, but Parshish Chayesara just said Parshish Chayesara and an Indian of Shidduchim. And that was, and he would joke, he said, you know, he was married three times, so he knew something about Shidduchim. But he really cared a lot that he wanted to give over practical day-to-day -day advice, aids of how how to find a Shidduch, how to be how to be in Grimman, how to be married, how to have a successful marriage. As has been mentioned a lot of times already, his Hachnosis Orchim extended also to us the Talmidim. It caused him a lot of Agmas Nefesh when he couldn't be Machnas Orchim. When uh, for the Takufa that while we were there, he was he had been divorced and it was and we were there when he was remarried for the third time. And sometimes his daughters would help him for Shabbos and it would and he would always express how much it pained him that he couldn't be Machnas Orchim when he when he didn't have his daughter's help when he at the time when he wasn't married. Um, but I remember spending Shabbos very vividly, the Shabbosim in Borough Park in Muncie. I remember the home. I remember the Medrash. And, I, and just how he was, you know, exuding that real year of Shemayim. And one of the things I remember offhand was that I, when we were in Muncie for Shabbos by, by the Shiva Zatzal, I both in Borough Park and Muncie, I would, after the Suda, go around and visit different Titian and Rebbe and the Rashi would ask, you know, where did I go and what, you know, what went on there? And, you know, he was, he had different comments about all the different Rebbe's that I visited. And there was one time I brought back in Muncie some grapes or shrayim back to the home. And I asked Rashi if he wanted, and he said he doesn't use the Erev in Muncie. So I said, should I not eat it? He said, no, you can eat it. The Erev is good. I just don't use it. So he didn't, he didn't, uh, he didn't want to take it, um, you know, pour him. I remember we were by him also in Muncie and remember how much he danced. I had, I was for, I was still a bacher, but I had a shrimal that I had bought in Yerushalayim, a real shrimal, but an old one. And I was wearing that poor him and he, he asked to wear it. And I remember I still have that. I remember his chasana, but also, you know, I, I don't know if it was mentioned that he had a master's degree in Jewish history and he was a master course in Jewish history. He was a, the master of Jewish history, and he was also recognizing his place in Jewish history in a very humble way of how he told over, you know, stories of his own life. Uh, a lot of the recordings are actually online, very easily available. I think it was the Spielberg uh, 
foundation that recorded a lot of stories from Holocaust survivors. And he spoke about his parents. He spoke about his mother and her and her chesed, the work she did with the Satmar Bikercholim, how both uh, in Europe, after the war and in America, she was metapal with people who were choyling nefesh, with people who, who had mental illness. Um, and again, he took that Masorah from his mother and how he handled Zich with all the people who, uh, you know, came to his door for whatever, how their Rebbe conducts himself. So one of the questions people asked was about Chol of Yisrael. And, you know, jokingly, he'd say, you know, if I would, I live in Borough Park, if I wanted to, I'd have to go out of my way to find Chol of Stam, you know, nowadays. So, uh, you know, it's it's not even Bashita, it's just the reality of where I live. But he said as a, as a child, Learning in Torah Vadas, he remembered the uh, the milk. He said it was the brand was Crowley brand milk that it was Chol of Stam that everyone drank except the Rebbe's children. If they if they if, if someone their father was a Rebbe, then they got Golden Flow. They got the Chol of Israel milk, but everyone else had Chol of Stam. And and those little details of the history that he told over, you know, it's often been said that there are some a more masculish uh, Jewish historians who were more, uh, you know, that's it's an anachronism, but they would say that they care more what Rashi smoked, what kind of tobacco Rashi smoked in his pipe. Rashi didn't smoke any tobacco in his pipe. There was, that was pre-Columbian. There was no tobacco in Europe at the time, uh, rather than what Rashi said. But by telling us this story uh, and, and mentioning Crowley Milk, it taught us of Musar Haskell, it, 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 there was a purpose in it. It wasn't just a detail that had nothing in it. It was so filled with purpose, everything that he did. And uh, he really brought the riches of the past alive through his being a link in that Masora and recognizing his place. But again, it, there was no airs about it. It was just, he knew that th these were the lessons that had to be given over, whether, whether when he spoke about his Rebbeim, when he spoke about being in Europe before the war, his Zichroinus, even though he was a, a young child, his memories of the DP camps, his memories, you know, his family was, lived in Berlin for a while, and then they came to America. And, you know, his respect for uh, where he came from, you know, he, he, you know, he was very proud that his family were Gerich Hasidim uh, before the war. And, and after the war still, you know, he said, even though his father, you know, after the war, didn't have a beard, wore a short jacket. He was still a Gerachosid. And he had all kinds of stories related to that and also related to going from Tervadash to YU and all of his history along that lines. Uh, but he also found a balance because obviously his Rebbeim were from, from the literature world and, and you know, princes of, of, of the, the dynasties of Lita. And he really found an incredible balance within that world. You know, it's very well known that his Rebbe, Rabbi Yashaber, as a child, had a Malamed who was a Lubavitcher Chassid, and the impact that that had on his life. And one of the things that, um, that the Rashiva Zatzal said that when he came to YU, he went to the library and tried to find Sfas Emes And the librarian said, we have it, but it, it's been borrowed. He said, who was it in YU who's borrowing Spas Emes That was, he was, it was a bit mea to him how it could be. And, and then when it came back, he was very excited to tell us, you know, you know, that when it came back, you know, he's telling a story from many decades earlier, 
that that it was Rabbi Yashaber who had borrowed the Svasemes Alatara, and it gave him a lot of excitement to tell that over. And along those lines, one of the favorite stories that he had from the Rav, among the other things that he liked to talk about, especially I know there was a lot of discussion here about Rashiva Zatzal, his dikduk in how he learned up Gemara Rashi Toisvis. When he, he also said in the sugya, you also had to learn the Rambam that's pertinent to the sugya. But beyond that, the diktuk that he had was that he said you have to be when you learn Rishonim, especially Rashi Toisvis and Rambam, you have to be mendayek not only in every word but in every ois. That there's a reason why everything, just like was quoted before, that there was nothing extra in the Rashi. That went down not only to not only there wasn't an extra word, but there wasn't extra ice. That was the way that he taught us to be medaktek when learning the Rishonim. That it's not just written, you know, the way we write today. That this is written with a tremendous, tremendous diktuk. And he lived that would give an annual Yardsite drasha that was very well received and very well attended. He said one of the years without explaining too much. Uh, Rabbi Yashaber said, uh, there is a reason why the Hasidish world had certain Hatzlocha that the Litvish world did not, particularly when we look at before the war, you know, the, the, you know, the vast majority of people who remained true to term mitzvahs were from the Hasidish island, and that, you know, in the Litvish world, the, the Haskola had taken over much, and it was, you know, the, the yeshivas were kind of, uh, you know, trying to hold that back as had been discussed before, and and they didn't get through. You know, it, it was it it was much less of a hatzlocha there in that side of Europe as was in the Hasidic Olam and Rabbi Yashaber's theory on that was that he said at the time when we were saying, meaning Nusach Ashkenaz were saying Bama Madlikin, they were saying Raza the Shabbos, and he didn't elaborate on that. That's he said that's how he quoted from Rabbi Yashaber. And the Shiva Zatzal said that when, you know, his take on it is you can say both. You can you can say Bama Madlikin, which is Halocha, and you can say Kagavna, Rosa the Shabbos, and that's Agadita, and that you need both, and that's who he was, meaning he he was he was Madaic in, in term mitzvahs, he was a, a tremendous Lamdan, tremendous Talmud Chochem, but he had that balance of both the the prose and the poetry, the prose of 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 halacha and the poetry of Agadita and Musra and Hasidus, and he encouraged us to learn Sifri Hasidus. I remember he would speak about the the Chernovitcher and, and particularly the Sefer Sidur Shel Shabbos. He he recommended that the Bachim should should learn Sidur Shel Shabbos from 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 the Bermei Mechaim, and he said if you're uncomfortable learning a Hasidish Sefer, just pretend that he really cared about us on a very, very personal level. He, he even, even if he knew we didn't want to hear what he had to say, he would say it because it, he felt it was important to say with, with Aitzes and things that he wanted to give over to us. And he didn't have to pretend to be anything else. And we still, we loved him and respected him for that. And it's, you know, I did see him after I left Yeshiva twice. And uh, I remember I was at a rabbinical conference when I was a rov down south in Virginia and in Washington, D.C. He was a speaker and they gave him tremendous kibbutim there. I remember both of the chief rabbis of Israel happened to be there. 
and the, at this conference, there were Mechavid, uh, Braunschweigel to, to lead benching. And I was so proud. Myra Shashiva led benching by that Suda where, where that all these other Rabbanim were there, including the chief rabbis of Israel were there. And, and they gave to Myra Shashiva to, to bench. And then the stories that he managed to be there at Lander College where he could feel comfortable. He had the of the Hanhola there. They were all machnia to him. Meaning if he said, you know, in the college part of Lander College that I remember the dean who was, who was on this platform not too long ago, uh, Rabbi Sokol, Sokol Zunstein, uh, wanted to teach a certain, he wanted to teach Homer's Odyssey, I believe it was. And, and, uh, and Rashiva said, no, that's a Vedazara. We, we cannot be teaching a Vedazara in the yeshiva. So then humbly, uh, Rabbi Dr. Sokol was, was machnia to Rashiva. He said, what about Aristotle? He said, yeah, Aristotle is okay. That he'll allow. So, and, and there was tremendous, because uh, they understood we're dealing with an Adam Gadol. We want to represent something in this yeshiva. It, it needs to represent what it means. That was Torah Uparnasa for that purpose of, but it, the Torah is, is, is what's on top. And that that means that the college has to be machnia to the yeshiva, that it's that Lander College is first and foremost this measure of Talmud, and that w- w- whatever we need to do to get college credits, and, and that the Bachim Yungalite should go on to be Matzliach in their professions, that was secondary uh, to the Torah, and the Torah has to come first. And that was something he would always he would always talk about how you know he remembered some of his teachers earlier on, uh, you know they took them to the Museum of Natural History, and they would say things that were kfiridic and, it, and it, how much it caused him Agnes Nefesh to hear that and that how proud he was that at Lander College that wouldn't be like that. And With uh, my my Haver and uh, I, I say it humbly that I could even call him that uh, Rabbi Yonariz, the Abbezdin of, uh, of the Chicago Rabbinical Council's Bezdin Tzedek uh, I know Rabbi Reese has been waiting very patiently through this. Rabbi Reese, we really appreciate you taking time out to be able to put the bow on this husband for us. Okay, thank you, Rabbi Kivalev. It's uh, really, it's both a privilege and a challenge to go last. The privilege because I got to hear all the wonderful words of the previous speakers. The challenge because I assume that we're pretty much out of time. Uh, I'll just to say that uh, when I became an Isle of the Yeshiva, uh, Rabbi Branspiegel had already left, but his influence was never gone. Uh, he was a tremendous mashpia uh, on the Yeshiva in terms of uh, the atmosphere, the perspective, uh, Yerushimayim, uh, the notion that, that it is essential to always keep hold of the Mesorah. In his parting address, Branspiegel uh, said two things uh, that were very memorable. Um, that one is uh, that a Rebbe without a Mesorah is not a good Rebbe. The second is uh, that uh, Torah without Yerushimayim is not Torah. And uh, Branch Beagle personified both of these things. I had the discourse of hearing Shiurim from a Branch Beagle and fourth year Halacha the Maise, and Inyani gave a Sumila, and now I am Yadayim uh, Raglayim completely immersed in Inyani Geras, and uh, I benefited from his perspectives. I still remember his saying over the from Naftali Trop on Mubarish and Iskaira. A pregnant woman who uh, converts and the, the child uh, says that the Ramban goes through a, a, a gavis if it's a boy through his bris milah 
and he asks her, but the, the Gemara says that the child uh, is, um, uh, it still requires pidyon habein, so it seems like it's considered to be from the rechem of a Jewish woman. So he says, yeah, the child has a shame Yisrael, but doesn't have kedushas Yisrael. Until the Maise Geiris, he applied that to an akum Babas Yisrael with respect to the child with such a, a union as well. And Rebran Spiegel said it over uh, beautifully, uh, sweetly, and incredibly uh, clearly. Uh, that was his style. He had great lucidity, and he, great, he had great uh, sweetness, and he had a great uh, kedusha. I was struck as I watched the uh, Holocaust interview on the Spielberg Foundation. He mentioned when he was in the ghetto uh, the, in Germany uh, that they allowed uh, the davening of Rosh Hashanah once and remembered the beautiful melody of the Chazan who said, mimas. Uh, and then as he was speaking the very last time at uh, YU, um, so he began his uh, address uh, with uh, the very same uh, wording, mimas. who am I, you know, to give uh, Musa or anything of the sort, uh, but whatever uh, he said, made an enormous impression. He was afraid that the Rav's legacy as uh, being a Godel B'Torah wouldn't be appreciated. Um, and in the end, I think people uh, throughout the world do appreciate it more through the, the writings and teachings of Shefta, the Rashimos, the Ari Kedem, or Shurkin, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I would say it's not despite Rav Spiegel that, that the, the Rav's legacy has become more appreciated, but probably because in large part of Rav Spiegel. When, when he spoke and he focused everyone on the Rav's true legacy, they listened uh, and I think that's part of Avraham Spiegel's uh, legacy as well. People really listened to him. He really did have an influence on the year of Shemayim that continues in the yeshiva. It should be a Melitz Yosher uh, for Yeshiva Rabbeinu Yitzchak and also for Landers College at Yitzchak Thanks for joining us for another episode from the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a single episode. 